0: Magic Boomer Book Club, Chapter 4, Card Relationships.
1: Next on Eternal Dirtles. Primo appreciation goes out to all of our Dirtle Maniacs that support us on Patreon.com. Without these people, we would not be able to afford to make the show and upgrade it the way we have been doing the last couple of months. Please, if you can support us, go to Patreon.com slash Eternal Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man?
0: Bro, I don't understand what cards do with each other. How does this How does this work?
1: <laughs> how do cards have
0: relations with each yeah, other? How do, right? they, how do cards have relations?
1: Yeah, so chapter four of uh, Deep Magic, Deep Magic, Advanced Strategies for Experienced Players of Magic the Gathering. We're on chapter four now. If you haven't seen the other chapters, go, go ahead and feel free to go back in this playlist We've got a playlist for you, and you can see Chapters 1, 2, and 3. As well, if you go to our Discord, shout out to our Discord community. We have compiled Chapter 4 in a PDF for you, so you can check that out if you want. If uh, you want to get the whole book, you can buy this on Amazon to support the guys who wrote it 30-ish years ago. And uh, let, let's get to it, Phil. Yeah, let's dive uh, into card
0: relations.
1: Yeah, so I think, again, I always like to just kind of like – Look at the first the first paragraph of each chapter and kind of find find what they're breaking down, right? And so this one's right off the right off the bat it says Beginning Magic players often mistake the often make the mistake of constructing decks by taking all of what they consider to be their best cards and putting them in a stack.
0: Isn't that just jund? Well, it's interesting <laughs> it's interesting because I kind of vehemently disagree with that idea given how magic is (laughs) now getting
1: magic players do that
0: (laughs) so so like back then sure because like there wasn't pound for pound raw card like insane cards you know like even even the absolute fucking busted cards needed something else and the something else just wasn't there for it you know like your your early days of i mean i guess i guess it's not relatively early to this but like your days of tinker not able to get a bowl as a citadel like if you can only tutor up trash your tinkers you know, obviously tame in that environment, right? So, like... Pretty- Tigger
1: has always been good, Phil.
0: <laughs> Tigger has always been good. But, like, the context between, you know, what I could fetch then versus what I could fetch now is an example. Whereas, like, the idea of just slamming your best cards into your deck and, you know, whatever relationships they may or may not have being irrelevant, like, nowadays, it's entirely different. I mean, it, this might be the... Of, of all the chapters in Magic Boomer Book Club, this one might be the one that uh, withstands the test of time the worst.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I've used the word anachronistic a few times in the series. And if any episode was to be brought to you by A for anachronistic, it would be probably this episode. But I think there's some, some interesting stuff to glean from this still. So, uh, you know, I like to I like to go through here and, you know, mark up my pages and stuff and g- give you sort of an idea of how I study. But uh, so the second thing is having cards re- with relationships separate. Separates a deck from a simple collection of cards. I, I just love that that as a thing to say. J- as a, It just separates a deck from a simple collection of cards. Like, it's just such a 1995, like, thing to say. It's pretty melodic. Pretty melodic. It, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like, I feel like I'm in English class there, you know? But in, they're not totally wrong in this. You know, you don't just, you know, unless you're playing a draft deck. You don't just slam together a bunch of cards and and like hope for the best, right? Like even you know when we're building decks for Legacy, when we're building decks for uh, for Modern and whatnot, you know. Often I think I think the thing with this book that kind of separates it. And, and a quick shout out to to Bruise of Paradise. I was listening to that this week, and and they do a really great job of like kind of separating the the content wall of like legacy content and like what is brewers content and i think that th- that if anything this 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 book is sort of in that line of brewers content
0: for, for reference Brews of paradise is a new podcast with uh tony Scapone, arkin uh killaby and punishing waterfalls
1: yeah so that i i go ahead and check that out they're on spotify so go ahead and check that out for sure it, it, incredibly entertaining first episode and i think that they're doing something that a lot of other Magic: The Gathering podcasts aren't doing, including us, is being able to talk about specifically brews and brewing, and and like I said, a lot of that kind of comes through here when all you could do really was brew unless you had this book that had the the deck deck list in the back of it, right? I was actually looking at this today, you know, just the front of it, and it says includes winning American Championship deck lists, right? And I was just like in my head, I thought, what's up? You know like just i wasn't putting myself in 1995 and i was like "What stops some kid just being like click 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 all right i don't need this book <laughs> cell phones didn't exist certainly not ones that you could take uh, photos with uh, on them yeah m-
0: m- maybe they had their cameras that they then got the photos at their local yeah, just like a 35 yeah, millimeter yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so uh, so they go on to talk about uh, you know the concept of relationships is pretty simple any two cards in your deck are designed to work in conjunction, then they have a relationship between them. And, and then they want to talk about like the different kind of relationships that decks have dependent and independent relationships. Yeah. So how do you feel about, how, how do you feel about that as a delineation for, for deciding what kind of relationships decks have?
0: I mean, that's a lot of what is what constitutes ABC deck building, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's as, as far as you want to go in that realm of any, any type of deck building theory, it's, it, it has to incorporate, you know, how cards interact with each other. Uh, I think like. I, I want to I real quick just, just point out the fact that uh, we
1: don't actually talk about these chapters before we do the video. These videos are on the fly for the most part. And did you see the bump that I put you up for the spike of ABC deck building there? Masterful.
0: Masterful. Absolutely masterful. <laughs> I, I, I think that. Given the acceleration of power in at least the eternal formats at this point, this stuff doesn't hold up nearly as well in that like it's it's much more difficult these days to do anything that is bu- built and only successful if the synergy actually functions, because it's so, so, so difficult to actually establish any amount of synergy without it getting overpowered or dismantled before it actually gets off the ground. So most interactions now, at least if looking through the lens of like how this chapter speaks to card interactions, a, a more example of it nowadays would be like life from the Loam interacts with positively with Uro by giving Uro more cards to escape from in the graveyard via dredge. But like you aren't playing life from the Loam because you're playing Uro and you're not playing Uro because you're playing life from the Loam. So they're more, in, it's like interactions are far more incidental. I think like the, if you wanted to a, branch a, a little bit further out, you could say up the beanstalk is sort of uh, incentivizing players to play a, a slightly differently. But again,
1: that didn't car- just draw the card, but it came to play.
0: Well, <laughs> I would say yes. Well, that, that's, the, that's, that's where like this, the, this sort of idea, ideolo- this idea of card of interaction sort of falls off because even in Watsi's designs, they've sort of removed that as something at all within, uh, Deck building constraints. So, like for example, it's like if Up the Beanstalk didn't draw the card, then you have to do it. You have to commit some amount of resources and uh, attention, and then hopefully you will pay it off by if you were to convert two five plus mana spells in within the game. You just had a two mana divination, which by all metrics before you know what twenty eighteen was a a, a hell of a rate, right? Like if we we were we We were playing
1: Night's Whisper, of course we were
0: playing. Yeah, Night's Whisper was like you know. somewhat playable but like even then it was like tough to play because of the you know just paying two light drawback or because it was in black but now since it replaces itself automatically it doesn't even matter if you do pay it off. like the second you pay it off once with any spell you've already got a two mana divination yeah. yeah. you're so you, you're already up so it, there's there's no cost there so like the idea of uh looking for card relationships at most what it's doing is like okay i'll play ley line binding instead of whatever other, you know, removal suite I was going to run, because it has the parallel to up the beanstalk. That's not necessarily to say that you wouldn't play Leyline Binding in some capacity anyway, because if the format, which, you know, moved over into uh, Leyline of the Void, and the One Ring, and like other tough stuff where like Prismatic Ending may not touch those cards as easily, and Leyline Binding does, and you already are in four colors anyway, so it's kind of free. So like, there, there isn't really much work to have to get to that point. But it's It's an example of like at least it's an example of a card interaction that's informing a choice, uh, but it's yeah. it's it's much less of an investment than what clearly what this chapter is discussing. Now, that's not to say that like the stuff that's discussed in this chapter isn't valuable. It most certainly yeah. is uh, at least from the standpoint of like looking at when when you are assessing how you're coming up with a certain archetype, like what we were talking about um, a little while ago with Acast. And we I I this has come up a couple of times, but we were talking about, you know, Urza Lord High Artificer as a mirror breaker. And I think like you get to Urza Lord High Artificer when you recognize the pattern that the the mirror values, and then you're thinking, okay, what what are the pieces that would synergize with this? And the interaction that Urza has with all of your other artifacts and to like uh, and also just you know breaking the parody of Urza Saga constructs, like that's a meaningful piece that like you would the the thought process behind getting to that choice is what's yeah. discussed in this chapter
1: yeah what urza really does for that deck is it goes it, it, urza is is a four mana thought monitor every turn right right like he costs four mana and then all of a sudden every one of your artifacts is producing five mana and you're basically going to end up drawing two extra cards every turn once you get to a certain point. Yeah,
0: it, um, it's, yeah, it's it's just an example of like, now, is that something that's going to like bust open a format? No, but is it a choice that is informed by the theory behind what is discussed in this chapter?
1: 100%. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is, is interesting and worth kind of pointing out is sort of like, you know, when they're talking about independent and dependent... Uh, relationships is to kind of point out the cards that they were talking about then versus something similar now. So dependent the easiest one for me to kind of wrap my head around. Uh, we can read about the relationships real fast. I'll give, I'll give the quick rundown of what, what they're saying here. Relationships can further break down into two categories, dependent and independent relationships, independent relationship. Each of the cards in the relationship is useful on its own. A dependent relationship means that the cards lose something from the lack of the others. So, the best dependent relationship I can think of at this time was Stasis and Kismet. Mm-hmm. They're f- like they're fine on their own, but really like without Kismet, Stasis is just waiting to be disenchanted by your opponent, and without Stasis, Kismet is just like your creatures don't have haste anymore and they can't block. So, uh it doesn't that together they do a lot. Uh, independently, they don't do enough to be like I'm just going to throw this into every deck, right? That line, um, that
0: line is is quintessential. What we were just talking about about how design has changed, where yeah. the the independent relationship of like something being un- well now not- Kismet
1: would draw you a card as well,
0: right? But well, well, well <laughs> that's what I mean. It's like it, it, they've removed the barrier of of that necessity, right? Like the interaction, it, all the cards that are playable nowadays don't have any of those limitations at all. And that's just a, a difference of design in the last X full of years. So I mean, it's 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 a, a really a, not to harp on that over and over again, but it is the clear distinction that this book had no way to possibly foretell. You know, it's impossible to foretell that thirty years down the line. But it's one of the areas where, when you go through and you do read this book, to keep in mind that like this navig- this informed a bunch of uh, of of deck building for a very long time, up until well into the er years that we started playing, and that probably most of us started playing. But there's, like, edition two of this book would come out now, and it would primarily be, in my mind, a rehashing of this entire chapter for the entirety of the book.
1: Eternal Dirtles is proud to be sponsored by Moxfield. Moxfield is the best Magic the Gathering deck-building website on the Internet. You can create, share, and find decks from Commander to Legacy and even fan-supported formats like pre-modern and old school you can see all of our decks on our Moxfield. field follow the links below to stay tuned yeah yeah they would be, be like this has changed yeah <laughs> you know one of the, it's funny some of the other I, I think i think this is always interesting is some of the other examples they give for independent independent uh card you know card uh relationships i like rook egg and earthquake they're like rook egg is a great blocker like that's the thing that you look for in a card uh apparently you did in 1995 you're like i need a good blocker uh and then earthquake earthquake's great at like getting rid of the board and if you happen to have both in play hey you got a 4-4 rad um you know and they talk about like black vice anka mishra howling mine and winter orb together sloven library and sinbad i love i yeah, love that so like, good Sin- sinbad is uh and they spelled sinbad wrong in the book there's a d and there's an extra d in there that they missed uh, but sinbad uh Taps to uh, draw a card, and if it's a land, you get to keep it. If it's not a land, you have to put it in the graveyard. So Sylvan Library and Sinbad works really well. It's, it's a two-mana, basically draw an extra card every turn. Uh, land Tax, Orb, and Winds of Change. Sure. Uh, I don't understand how Land Tax, Orb, and Winds of Change all together are a thing. I guess because then you, I, I get it. Like I don't get where the Orb comes into play with the Winds of Change. I see it with Land Tax, I suppose. Uh, it just, it, that's that's a wild, like, choice to, like, throw those three cards together.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's an example of them loosely uh, touching ABC, right? Yeah, like, yeah,
1: yeah. I guess they're like, if you want to play Zoranorb, it's good to have land tax because you could sack a land and draw three cards, and then you could use the winds of change to turn uh, yeah. those lands into actual cards.
0: In, in my head, it's thinking, you want, you want winds of change, therefore you want land tax, therefore you want Zoranorb. That, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that would be the ABC structure of what that looks yeah. like. Uh, if you did it in any other way, the structure wouldn't necessarily make sense. Because yeah, You go, different. I want land tax, therefore I want winds of change. You don't want Zurnorb. And if you're like, I want Zurnorb, you would then go to land tax. But it's weird to think that Zurnorb would be your plan A. Whereas like winds of change back then, <laughs> winds of change back then could have been a meaningful form of destruction.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, Winds of Change was not very wide, at least not, you know, I, I started a little bit before this, was not widely played. I'm I'm saying um, as the
0: example of, like, where they're coming from here, but, yeah, like, they, they just yeah, didn't, they didn't quite express that as cleanly as they could have.
1: Yeah, then uh, Mind Twist, Rack and uh Brando wants up. Come on, bub. My, anytime you start talking about Discard, this, this guy just wants to get in on it. He's a Discard player, he's uh, a box player. Yeah, man. Uh, so mind track. Uh, sorry, mind twist him to Torak and the rack. Obviously, we we all understand the, the synergies there. Um, I like White Knight, Circle of Protection, Sleight
0: of Mind. That get Sounds
1: like that sounds like a, that, sounds like a rap that you've created,
0: dude. Get them. <laughs> get them. How? How? Like,
1: a- ah, are you playing blue creatures? I'm gonna Circle of Protection. My uh, Circle of Protection Black over to Circle of Protection Blue. How
0: are you possibly getting out of that? How do you possibly yeah, break that?
1: No. Uh, and then they talk about card combinations: uh, Fireball and Fork, Ancestor Recall and Black Vice. <laughs> yo, yeah, yo, are you a psychopath?
0: <laughs> yeah, just get, throw the Ancestor Recall at them, bro.
1: And my favorite card combination, and he went into real detail about this, was righteousness swords to plowshares and any creature like he went into a whole combat scenario where it's like you versus a guy with force of nature and you block your uh grizzly bear so they're force of nature then you cast righteousness you kill the creature the the you know uh the force of nature with righteousness yeah your nine nine to gain nine life yeah bro just remove Board Presence and waste three cards.
0: Right. You exchanged three cards for their one card, but think about how much life you gained.
1: Oh, you gained nine life. Yeah, that's where you want to be. Um, and then they talk about, like, Chaos Lace and Blue Elemental Blast, which is, like, more on that dependent situation. So, you know, go, going from there, where they, they give this li- this cavalcade of, of, of just ways you can combine magic cards, which, not for nothing, Phil... Back in the day, I used to go onto websites looking for combinations. There were like, you'd be like, type in Magic the Gathering card combinations, and you'd get like, you know, Onulet, Ashnod's Altar, mm-hmm. Enduring Renewal.
0: Yo, uh, Onulet on, like, on, on, was, don't, don't dunk on the Onulet. <laughs> onulet was uh, ahead of its time.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, death, a death trigger that was one of the first that was the first death trigger but like you know i'd go i go online looking for that sort of stuff and like you know magic the gathering jokes that was the early internet at the time so the it says the far more common so independent card combinations are generally rarer of the two combinations cards involved must be individually useful as well as use useful in conjunction so they're talking there about for us, we would be talking about fetch lands and brainstorm, right? Like fetch lands and brainstorm is kind of the perfect example, right? They're both useful on their own, much more useful together, right? They talk about this is where they talk about the righteousness source supply share. Look how far we've come, you know? <laughs> like,
0: so good, it's just so good. Look
1: how far we've come. We're, we're brainstorming and fetching lands, and they were like, "You can gain nine life and kill a force of nature." <laughs> For the for the low, low cost of three magic cards from your hand,
0: dude. This is back when when people are throwing three cards with uh to foil something, you know, this is this righteousness yeah. line doesn't sound too bad,
1: yeah. All right, so far more common are the independent combinations which must be used in conjunction to be particularly effective. Are they talking about chaos lace and blue blast? So, I, I think we don't see a lot of that anymore. We don't see a lot like dependent combinations. You don't really build decks around, which is what we kind of said before. And the only time I can really think of that in, you know, we do that in pre-modern a bit, like cadaver's bloom is a kind of classic example of that. Like none of those cards are useful uh, by themselves, but that is literally a deck that like, it is all combo and maybe most combo decks are like that. You know, maybe that's a, that's a blind spot for us because, we don't really, we don't really cover combo deck so much. So maybe that's where dependent relationships have kind of moved to.
0: Yeah, there's. You could argue that something like the Leyline of the Void or the Dothy Voidwalker, or you know, I mean, Dothy Voidwalker is a different case because it's also like a very efficient, unblockable beater. But like Leyline of the Void in, in Mono Black Helm, the 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 difference though is that like that's also um, I, w- I would categorize that a little bit differently though because it's not like the Leyline of the Void does nothing. If you don't have the combo piece to go with it, it can be meaningful disruption against a lot of the metagame. And so, like, it will vary. And when, depending on what you're matched up against, where against some matchups, it might be lights out. Like, if you're playing against Reanimator and you just put a Leyline of the Void on turn zero uh, before they even get a turn, like, that game's over. Where if you go up against, you know, uh, Initiative, okay, it's a blank piece of cardboard. But, like, that will vary depending on matchup. And it's, it, to me, it's less so like, this doesn't do anything if you don't have the other piece, which, you, you know, it, that's a lot less. Uh, I think the else, most like,
1: dependent, d- dependent relationship that still carries over today is Dark Ritual and literally any other magic
0: card. I think, I, 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 <laughs> so I, I was about to comment on Dark Ritual because I think Dark Ritual is, Dark Ritual just being in the realm of fast mana, like Fast mana plus anything is 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 tough to be it's like a dependent
1: it, relationship, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, you could also say that like okay, spells, lands, and spells are dependent relationships. You know, it's like it's a little loose, but like I think that something that could still exi- that still exists in that space is show and tell.
1: Show and tell, yeah. Show and tell uh, is uh, actually a great example of a dependent relationship.
0: I think show and tell is probably the most notable example of a deck that still exists today that is entirely dependent on one relationship where. Uh, or de- dependent on the relationship that it has within the deck, where yeah. if you can fight over one part of the piece, then you can strand the other pieces. So, like your omniscience doesn't do anything if you don't have the show and tell. Your fatties in that deck don't have anything if you don't have the show and tell or the sneak attack, right? So, like yeah. th- those two cards in particular, I think, are the, the the shining examples of this.
1: You know, Phil, when I was thinking about this, and I was t- I was leaning on stasis and kismet, and I I, I was thinking about what you need now is that redundancy that like, you just don't have with those two cards. Like you, you could sure you could run eight kismets because frozen aether is a card, but stasis is a one of a kind magic card, right? Like stasis is like Lich, uh, except for they created like two other cards that are like Lich. Uh, stasis is a card that there is just no other card that does what it does in this game. Right. Um, and, you know, static, orb is kind of close but it doesn't it doesn't let you leverage the plan that stasis does um and if we look at a deck you know when we're talking about dependent relationships if we look at a deck like show and tell the the redundancy there is the sneak attack right mm-hmm. like you got show and tell then you've got sneak attack those two things you know create that redundancy so when you have those dependent relationships you really need that like Extra four card redundancy to like really to really be competitive in Legacy. I think
0: the rule of eight in just in math means that you're going to open it uh, nearly guaranteed in your opening hand. The the so like similarly for sneak attack, sneak attack gears you towards pieces like Amrakul and Grizzlebrand or Atraxa in ways that uh, your sneak attack and omniscience do not pair well together. But another example of the sneak attack alternative of uh, getting your copies five through eight of Show and Tell have been Eureka. And so, like, that's in the similar space where it's, you know... Again, Eureka doesn't do anything if it doesn't have the payoffs in hand. It literally has no text otherwise. Uh, Yeah.
1: And that that was a card that existed then. And people tried to make Eureka work. I think they played, like... Nickel ball, there's a Eureka deck in here, so we'll definitely go over that eventually. I think it's um, good I think uh, it played like Nickel Bolas or something yeah, like that.
0: get get your seven seven that's gonna make them discard their hand. I think uh, another thing for for all the players that have been playing for a long time, you know, that can think back, uh, you know, a, a decade and a half, two decades, if you think about Enlightened tutors value, and the since drop off to unplayability, that's the example of getting the additional copies in your deck right uh my, my, my parfait players out there you had to play it be, you had to play it enlightened tutor because you're like well i really need eight land taxes and eight scroll racks if i'm going to make this combo work and that's why you leaned on the tutors it's also are why you,
1: are you ready uh phil to find out what was in the eureka deck in this in this uh thing we're not going to go over all of it but l- i i definitely want to talk about this for just a second because this is a classic example of dependency yeah go for it uh so Concorded crossroads yep so that's you know that's part of the whole eureka plan right you're going to put several things in uh crawl worm mm-hmm. this is a type one deck by the way uh and crawl giant
0: and then colossus of sardius Big fatties. Big fatties. I don't
1: understand what the
0: Colossus is doing in the deck, though, because
1: you're going to untap it.
0: You're not. You're killing them that turn. You're, you're putting the Concordic Crossroads co- in the Colossus,
1: Colossus comes into play tapped, I'm pretty sure.
0: Does it? I'm going to look yeah, it, up. Looking it up. I am
1: almost positive Colossus
0: comes into play tapped. Looking it up. Alright, yeah, look it up. Colossus of Sardia. Its text is this creature, it has trample and it doesn't untap during your untap step. That's it. And then it costs nine to untap? It costs nine to untap and you can only activate that during your upkeep. So the goal is you don't even need you don't even get to your next upkeep. The game is over.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. That that makes sense, I suppose.
0: Yo, Concording concordant, uh, concordant <laughs> crossroads and eureka with all these fatties, that's just build your own sneak attack.
1: That, yeah, that is build your own sneak attack, actually, it is. Especially especially uh in the context that Colossus does not untap. Um I love that like they were like, well we need we need like other fatties. And they were like, well crawl crawl giant is it, like Crawl Giant has has rampage, it does not have trample. You know, <laughs> like why not play like I, I just feel like why would you play Crawl Giant when Force of Nature exists and is just like a better
0: option in this scenario. Because you know? they're hedging because your six drops are actually castable. Fog. No, your six <laughs> drop your six drops are castable. Your
1: yeah, your six I I don't want to even go back to this, but it, your deck is just like mana dorks and <laughs>
0: like you can cast you can cast a five drop uh f- Force of Nature. What do you mean for, for five drop? For, force of Nature's eight mana, my dude. No. Force of Nature? Force of Nature costs three, what?
1: Four, oh, no, you're six. right. Force of Nature,
0: you're right. It's two green, 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 green. Or yeah, it's, four it's green. it's four,
1: four green. Yeah, yeah So, yeah. yeah, so it's six. So, like, I think that that is a better option. Anyhow, I'm not going to go back and start building decks. Like, we should improve on these decks when we get to them. But, uh, yeah, so like, moving forward with the discussion here also, on the...
0: W- we just saw a classic debate uh, back then. this is This is the <laughs> argument. That was the argument oh, yeah. people were having. Why aren't you playing Force of Nature?
1: I think, I think the answer is because people just saw Rampage and they thought Trample, right? Does Crawl, crawl Giant doesn't have Trample? Was, cart, was
0: Did card availability have any impact at this point?
1: Um, yes, f- certainly. Uh, I need to double check. It's been so long since I looked at a Crawl Giant. Crawl Giant? Oh, Crawl Giant has Trample. Okay. Crawl Giant has Trample. We're- hey, everybody, Crawl Giant has Trample.
0: <laughs> that's why that's why you listen to this podcast so you can
1: yep just so you know it's on, it's on the screen um anyhow uh so go, going over the dependent and independent relationships in order to make dependent combinations and relationships less risky it is better to try to achieve combinations in which each card is a member of several dependent combinations so that is a class that, that is like Basically, making it so that you know, I think the best example there is your land tax, Zorn Orb, uh, Winds of Change situation, right? Each of those cards, uh, I mean, they're they're fine, right? Like land tax is good all, all by itself, but Winds of Change is good with it, and Zorn Orb is good with it because you can get, get that together. All three of them together, amazing. Um, but any two of those is good together, not the land tax and sorry, not the Zornorb and winds of change together alone, but land tax makes both of those cards better. Right? Yes. And so, so I think that what they're saying there is like, try to make sure that like, if you try to make sure that if you have cards that are dependent, that they're dependent, but dependent on several cards in your deck, as opposed to just, just one card in your deck or, you know, four ofs obviously um but i think that I, that's a that that's an obvious point now but i think i think in deck building like you know you got to look at this also is this was 101 for magic the gathering for a lot of people for me it specifically was one like how to take take your game from being just a guy that throws all his blue cards together in a, in a pile and with 20 lands and goes well this is it to someone who wanted to like be
0: a better magic player I think to w- one thing to know about this is it isn't necessarily just you know combinations of cards or cards in 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 um, building a combo. It can also mean in at least this is how I interpreted it as cards that also uh shore up the weaknesses of another card that you think is worth playing. So a good example of that that I've been talking about recently is a lot of people have been asking me about Triumph of St Catherine now that like they want to use it in up the decks and I'm pretty confident that at this point, I've cast more Triumph of St. Catharines than anybody else on the planet.
1: I'll go with that. I I think
0: I can hold that distinction for a little while uh, (laughs) until it comes out on Moto and then it's everywhere. But uh, one thing that people have been asking me is, like, you know, where to use Triumph? Like, what have you found Triumph to be really strong in? And what I I have found is that if uh, it's strong out of the board as a a creature plan out of the board in a control deck uh, against certain decks that care about life total, but A card that I would consider something that would work in context of this chapter for Triumph of Saint Catherine is literally any other creature, because Triumph of Saint Catherine is really, really soft source to plowshares. Right? It's just tarmogothic and source to plowshares, and white decks don't give a shit about it. So if you can play anything else to try and swallow up eating that source to plowshares before Triumph of Saint Catherine, then Triumph of Saint Catherine gets a lot better when their source to plowshares are stressed. So. If you if you can it's it's if it's very much similar to like that uh the discussion that we've had on like how do you play around wasteland or you know it's like you can't go halvesies you either have to like overload the wastelands so that the tax on any of your other lands aren't as steep or you have to entirely avoid wasteland so that it's just a, a moot card against your strategy right yeah. so it, similarly if source of plowshares only has one target it will always be. Do you remember back in the day when Dark Confidant was it was actually playable, and it was always the lightning rod for removal? Always, yes,
1: yes always.
0: Yes. If it was the only creature in your deck, then their removal was always better positioned than your Dark Confidants. But if Dark Confidant just ate the removal for whatever your follow up threat is, your follow up threat is way better because yes. Dark Confidants in the deck, even Time stayed stayed in the game after that. Yeah, even if it didn't have any actual. Uh, positive relationship with the creature you're casting dark confidant and tarmogoyf are a great example they don't do anything together right like they are disparate when it comes to what they want they both want to accomplish tarmogoyf wants to become a thick fatty and end the game fast and dark confidant wants the game to go long so you can draw more cards
1: to your argument phil uh dark confidant being in your graveyard certainly helps (laughs) tarmogoyf well
0: like yeah you get you get the the, gist of what i'm saying (laughs) all right like the the lens at which you view the cards relationship is really important. If you're thinking, yes. "I need, I need to make this creature better against removal," what do I do? And it, it can be as simple as I will just play additional creatures. So, like playing your Esper Sentinel or whatever alongside your Triumphant Catherine might actually be beneficial, not because they necessarily work together in any meaningful way, but the Esper Sentinel might demand the removal. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so, so they call that bridge theory. Uh, that that example of like having having multiple levels of Synergy with your deck. And that this brings up Synergy, which is for me, uh, it wasn't the first time I heard Synergy, but it was the first time I understood what Synergy meant because the first time I heard Synergy, uh, dating myself here, Phil, what do you think the first time I heard Synergy was?
0: Uh, I'm gonna guess the famous line from Dodgeball, where he's like, we're gonna take your energy and my energy and make a synergy of our energies.
1: No, uh, it was it was Jim and the holograms. That's mm. what she called her mm. earrings. Uh, the robot that did the earrings was called Synergy. Also, for uh, anybody
0: in the comments, I don't know if that quote's from Dodgeball. It could be from fucking something. I don't fucking know. <laughs> also,
1: Dodgeball came out well after this. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. I saw Dodgeball in the theater. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, anyhow, uh, Synergy occurs when two cards in the deck form a powerful relationship. So that's kind of what we've been talking about the whole time. Then, an addition of another. Then the addition of another makes the relationship even better. Hey, that's uh, that's a classic example of uh, Stasis, Kismet, and Black Vice, right? It stops your opponent from putting things into play. Hey, great, uh, like putting things into play and using them, and Stasis keeps them tapped, and uh, Black Vice deals damage because your opponent can't do anything, right? That's a classic three-card synergy.
0: Yeah, and you, you can see how they all, like, branch together, right? Like, yeah. It, also, black worked well under the uh, stasis because you also needed something that was cheap. Yeah, you, you, you needed know? to be to, Yeah, you, you needed, needed something something, yeah. cheap.
1: You needed a turn one thing to do, um, and then I guess I guess other good like synergy situations would be like squander resources, cadavers bloom, drain life, mm-hmm. right? Uh, p- prosper, uh, prosperity. Um, uh, thinking about synergy now. Um, you know, we look at. I guess you can look at eight cast for for that, right? And then you say, okay, you know, we and this is very ABC, right? Like this is the this is the baby steps of ABC. I want to play Urza's Saga, therefore I want Ancient Tomb, and therefore I want one drops that like fit into the deck for uh. Urza Saga. Right? I, I think
0: like, it's slightly different. Yeah, it's like if you if yeah. you think I want Ancient Tomb, therefore I want Urza Saga, therefore I want the Urza Saga package. Uh, yeah. uh, if you if it was the other way around, where it's like I want uh, Urza Saga, therefore I want Ancient Tomb, that's where you move into things like okay, I want, therefore I want Sai. therefore yeah, I want therefore, you know, yeah, you know yeah, it's like that's you can see the pieces. It would be, I, I, want, was, I want
1: I anci- want I want Urza Saga, therefore I want the package, therefore I want also Ancient Tomb.
0: Uh, right, and then, but like it, it could also work where it's like I want Urza Saga, therefore I want all these cheap zero and one mana artifacts. Therefore, I also want Emory Psy. right? Like it, yeah. it just it, it you can plug and, pl- plug and play wherever you want. Which is why the deck is successful is because all those pieces can move around in that uh, structure. And it, if you can uh, assess that structure, you can get better at analyzing opening hands and yeah. you know uh, figuring out your the correct numbers for all the different things that you want and so on and so forth. But like yeah. another, no, another g-
1: seeing the synergy in your opening hand, as, uh, as it were, right? A,
0: a good example that like also can move a, a, a cards in and out, like where cards can, you know, seamlessly move in and out and it can extend is you can go, I want, if it, I want... Uh, patchwork automaton. Therefore, I want ancient tomb. Therefore, I want Urza saga. Could also go. I think yeah. Urza saga is really powerful because of the speed. So I want Urza saga. Therefore, I want patchwork automaton. Therefore, I want all these cheap artifacts. Therefore, I want Urza saga, and it can extend. But like the further that you can extend all those pieces, it seems like it can just the, the it, it, it keeps going yeah, it's all the way. Gross. Right, yeah. but but really, what it, like will ultimately happen because your resources are going to be limited is that you have. You you can look at a hand, and if you go, these pieces don't necessarily line up well together, in that like you're not going, I want uh, uh Patrick automaton, therefore I want psi, right? It's like those those two want similar things, but they don't necessarily want each other. And so if you see a hand that's got psi and patrick automaton, you're like, well, this doesn't look anywhere near as smooth than if I had you know a bunch of the either of the artifacts that would work with either of them you know what i mean because they fill a similar space i want ours i want ancient tomb therefore i want psi i want ours ancient tomb therefore i want Patrick automaton they fill the same slot you know yeah so
1: ra- wrapping it up uh relationships are a necessary element for every deck wow um I, I i can mostly agree with that uh the relationships simply add power to each card that they would not possess on their own of course Uh, the final sentence, uh, is is great to me thus by including relationships in our decks and trying to make them as synergistic as possible, we can make each card worth more than it seems at face value.
0: It's not the decks you play. It's the friends you make along the way.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, that was, uh, that was chapter four card relationships coming up next chapter five card economy. And I think this is going to be the chapter that like we really bite down on. Um, and I think what, after that, you know, there's, there's a little bit, this is a longer chapter too. It's, uh, no, I guess it's not that long. It's, it's only three or four pages it, we've got like three more chapters after this or four more chapters after this and then it's on to talking about the decks and stuff like that so uh, again if you've if you've been liking this uh content and you want to continue to support us you can check us out on patreon.com you can like subscribe comment that you like th- these videos you know that sort of stuff share them uh n- you know be a hero uh that's 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 what I've got for you this week uh, thank you everybody for watching and uh have a great day. Here's that playlist with the rest of deep magic. You can check out all that playlist. It's got everything up to this chapter. And if you love this kind of content, please think about supporting us on Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash EternalDirtles.